0: 4Tales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at VigorBranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give 4Tales a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Hey everyone, today I am joined by my friend Alex Cantor. He is the CEO and co-founder bite, which we are going to tap into a bunch until then uh alex say hello give a little bit of backstory hey thanks so
1: much for having me and uh yeah as mentioned my name is alex Cantor, ceo and co-founder of next bite and also fourth generation of Cantor's deli in los angeles uh, which is one of the largest and oldest restaurants in la started by my great-grandfather 90 years ago and just like my father and my grandfather I grew up working in the family business, waiting tables at 12 years old, working my way up through all the different positions, and uh, eventually became in charge of all things new, Uh, bringing in new technology and proving to my family that change can be a good thing. Um, I heard a lot growing up, if it's not broken, don't fix it, but also really enjoyed running around to uh, all these restaurant conferences and signing up for whatever was available, um... Really trying to expand the uh, the Cantor's brand outside of the four walls of the restaurant, reaching customers everywhere, where, wherever they were, and um, experimented a lot with delivery. Enjoyed um, enjoyed the, uh, the the benefits of being on all these great revenue streams from Uber Eats to DoorDash. To all these these apps uh, eventually grew delivery for Cantors to be over thirty percent of our revenue, which was a couple million dollars a year just in. Uh, Just some delivery orders. Just a uh, little bit. Yep, just a little bit. And uh, (laughs) and the staff in the restaurant hated me because I was the one who brought in all this new technology. Uh, We had nine tablets, two laptops, and a fax machine to manage all of those incoming orders. Um, So we uh, we had a a bit of an operational nightmare to solve. And uh, that's what prompted me to eventually start a tech company to help restaurants usher them into the new digital age. Um, to help them reach these customers outside of their four walls through this new manageable software and solution that we built, sort of partnering with thousands of restaurants and uh, have really evolved the business now to uh, expand our product offerings into into virtual restaurants and all this other crazy stuff, which we can get into in a bit. But
0: yeah, that's, that's I love box. that. Yeah. So, you know, what I love most about that is I think it really is the pathway of the American dream, right? It's uh immigrant family sees the opportunity, wants a bite of that uh, pun intended of that American dream. And then through the generations, hard work passing down. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why I love this industry so absolutely much is your story isn't the only one. And, and I think it's, it's such a wonderful path to get ahead. Um, so before we hop fully in, let's sort out some misconceptions from the proverbial horse's mouth. What are the differences between virtual restaurants, ghost kitchens, and dark kitchens? Because we hear them tossed around.
1: Yeah, so these are uh, these are new terms to describe restaurants that have no physical storefronts. Traditionally, um, it really started with. Um, with ghost kitchens which are basically warehouses for delivery only restaurants this is more like in the actual infrastructure like a we work for kitchens in a way where these these large real estate companies and businesses are developing new kitchens that are specifically designed and optimized for a for an off-premise business experience traditionally there's lots of little kitchens with a central area where drivers come to interface with a with with many uh, different restaurants in one kind of central hub, and then they can pick up orders and deliver them. And uh, the people who are placing these orders on Uber Eats, DoorDash, may not even know that it's coming from a from a ghost kitchen or a traditional uh, warehouse that that's designed for this. And I think you know, ghost kitchen, dark kitchen. Um, commissary kitchen. These are all words that can kind of be used interchangeably. There, there's a couple different varieties within that world, but traditionally those words are, are used to describe the more traditional real estate approach of like designing these kitchens specifically for this business. Mm-hmm. Then there's this whole other category, which I call virtual restaurants, which, are, which is any restaurant that only exists online. There's no physical storefront. However, these virtual restaurants can be operating out of a ghost kitchen, or they can be operating out of any restaurant that has excess capacity or the ability to make more food out of their existing uh, operation using their same costs that are already there. Um, So we at NextBite have taken the approach of sort of a new asset light version of of this, like what I would call a distributed ghost kitchen model, Mm -hmm. um, where instead of building new infrastructure, we look at the 800,000 restaurants in the U.S. and say we we really don't need more kitchens at this point. We need to make um, more output out of these underutilized kitchens that are already that are already out there. And if you think about a traditional restaurant, um, whether it's fine dining or fast casual or QSR there are uh these kitchens are are typically operating at what i would say 30 to 50 percent output like they could really crank out more food because there's slow times of the day slow days of the week and these are fixed cost businesses the rent is fixed the lights are already on the staff is already in the kitchen whether you're cooking food for one brand or multiple brands so we are in the business of creating these new virtual restaurants through somewhat of a licensing model where we're partnering with existing kitchens, teaching them to carry new ingredients, make food a certain way, and, and essentially put a new sticker on the bag going out the door so that when a driver comes to pick it up, they can, uh, they can go drive it to uh, whoever ordered the food. And uh, we can now turn one restaurant into multiple virtual restaurants as well. And, and that's a, a newer approach. We're not in the business of renting kitchens or cooking food ourselves but rather creating new brands um, that are specifically optimized for, for the delivery only world and then partnering with restaurants to turn it on.
0: Yeah. I love that. And, and I think it, it's easy to see the benefit from the restaurant here standpoint, um, you know, take the big brands out of it. Let's just take the mom and pop on the corner. Um, you know, my, my max hours uh, are from, you know, 11 AM to 5 PM maybe. Well, I'm still paying rent and utilities for the other remaining, you know, 18 hours or whatever. And so why not add breakfast? But I think what happens is some brands try to do that, some companies or restaurants try to do that, and they end up spreading themselves so thin because especially with the competition you mentioned, 800,000 plus restaurants in the US, I have the place for my breakfast burrito and it ain't yours. However, you know, I'm, not, I'm never going to know your brand for that, but I will know this other brand. And if you can adopt that, then you actually do open up the opportunity to uh, incrementally increase your revenue uh, and then maximize, optimize the space that you already are paying for. So the the attraction is there. And and I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, what have been some of those hurdles, though, to create a brand, um, a virtual brand, and it's more, obviously, it's more than just a name and a logo and a, and a menu. How, how do you operationalize it so someone can quickly learn, uh, integrate, and operate?
1: Yeah, so, such a good question. So, uh, rewinding back to 2018, um, where this all kind of started in our, in our world, we did a lot of experimentation. And the first virtual restaurant I actually ever launched was out of Cantor's Deli. Um, it was a grilled cheese brand that I made up from scratch. Um, basically, looked at you know what on our Cantor's menu has low food costs, is easy to reproduce, and what do we want to sell more of? <laughs> so, grilled cheese sandwiches kind of rose to the top because it's you know really cheap food costs. Uh, maybe one or two dollars to make a grilled cheese sandwich. You can sell it for ten bucks. So, you know, ten to twenty percent food costs. And um, and and we we will never run out of cheese and bread. Those are things we have unlimited of essentially. So um, I I up this menu, created a logo in five minutes, and put it on DoorDash, Uber Eats, Grubhub, Postmates, etc. And without doing really any marketing, um, I didn't even create a website or an Instagram for this brand. Um, it started performing. Um, at a very high volume, it was very surprising to see how quickly people were were just ordering this grilled cheese concept. Doing a, a it added approximately a quarter million dollars in incremental gross sales to to my family's business in that first year, um, without without even touching it. However, um, gone are those days. <laughs> right, you can no longer just put a brand online and expect it to uh, to perform. Um, it's it's really important that you're optimizing um, the menu for what consumers crave and and filling demand gaps in, in certain geographies, and the hours are critically important. One of the, one of the benefits of canners is it was a 24/7 operation. So if you opened up Uber Eats in West Hollywood at three in the morning, there might only be three or four options of restaurants to order from. Um, so grilled cheese, you know, grilled cheese was one of those options we were getting a ton of orders in the middle of the night and um and and really what's happened now is like every restaurant has gone online that's what the pandemic um forced was basically every remaining brick and mortar restaurant business that hadn't yet moved online moved online and every restaurant started to realize like they could be doing more out of their current operations so we saw a ton of restaurants experimenting with their own virtual brands trying to launch you know, new concepts and menus. So it became um, a very crowded space where you need a very, very strategic plan to drive demand and consumer awareness. And um, and when we create brands with NextBite, uh, we now have 20 brands in our portfolio of concepts. Um, some of them are designed, to your point, for breakfast burritos. Some of them are for late night, like our stoner brand that we did with a uh, in partnership with Wiz Khalifa, we created a brand together called Hotbox by Wiz Khalifa, <laughs> um, which is kind of a munchy menu, things like mac, mac and cheese bites covered in hot Cheeto dust. <laughs> um, this is really fun. Delicious. Food. And um, and we're going around partnering with restaurants, training them, you know, m- make the food this way, and you can turn this brand on, put the sticker on the back. And not all of our brands that we've launched have been successful. We've had to really experiment and understand what works in an online environment there's a lot of um experimentation that has to happen just from a brand dev and, and creation side like um we uh we test everything under different names under with different pictures to, to see what works and what doesn't work and then we when we launch it across the us we got to find really high quality partners to, to work with to, to turn this on um, and then of course, the marketing strategy is a huge component to this. So right. um, not only are we um, marketing within these delivery apps on behalf of these restaurants, but we're also doing a lot of work to build consumer awareness and social media following outside of the the third-party delivery apps themselves. So there's a, there's a big holistic strategy around this. But what's really interesting to me is that we have a chance to build Specifically, brands that are designed for delivery from scratch versus a brick and mortar restaurant that is taking their existing in person experience and trying to convert that to be online. Um, when you're taking canters and putting the menu on DoorDash, um, people are expecting you to have milkshakes and breakfasts and french fries and all the stuff that they're used to ordering in the restaurant, but some of that stuff is not optimized or designed for for an off-premise experience. The most extreme example would be like a steakhouse. Um, Trying to put a medium rare steak on a delivery menu is like, you know, not a recipe for success. Um, But um, we have a chance to build these brands with with the arrival experience as the, the first priority. So we can actually remove french fries from our menu from the beginning and put tater tots instead, which even if being driven around for an hour, you know, it might not be hot when it arrives, but it will be crispy. Um, you know, there, there are all these strategic things that we can do, um, to, to really optimize for that delivery first experience, which I think separates our approach from, you know, what's, what's, what's out there right now, which is like, how do we take what we already have and, and make it work online?
0: Yeah. So what's interesting, you, you kind of lightly, uh, touched on this, um, Maybe, maybe you didn't know you were going to, but um, unbeknownst to you, because of this, just like with regular capitalistic. Um scenarios when one thing rises a lot of other things around it also rise like the the need creates need and so um packaging man i think that's the biggest thing is you know we've been in this world of foam clamshells forever and you you mentioned the french fry scenario the like there's nothing worse than getting limp wet french fries uh when what you wanted was maybe not necessarily crispy but like that nice crunch that nice soft interior yada yada so um what are you seeing if anything as far as innovations in the packaging space because of this off-prem uh revolution do we want to call it that <laughs> <laughs> uprising i don't know one of those <laughs> uh more like reality Like, yeah, just like yeah. how things have evolved
1: um like the way that we talk about that actually is like the we, we're helping restaurants meet consumers wherever they are and right now it's like more digitally than ever before. We're we're calling this the e-commerce phase of restaurants because people are, are now shopping online for food from restaurants They used to, you know, if you, if you go back 20 years, there were all these brick and mortar retail businesses and then the internet happened and everyone wanted to shop online from the, from the brands that they love. Everyone who had a a jewelry business or a a clothing store eventually had an online presence. And, um, and then what happened was when people were used to shopping online, it, it opened up this new opportunity for brands to emerge that only existed online e-commerce brands um, and a lot of these e-commerce brands would digitally market to you or you know, find a way to get in front of you through through ads or however um, people are you know scrolling through Instagram, you see a pair of shoes now and. Uh, you order it and you don't even question, like, is this a physical store? Where is this coming from? It just shows up and it arrives. And the same thing is happening in food right now, where um, 20 years ago, the consumer, the only way to interact with the restaurant was to drive to it and walk in or go through the drive through. And now people are opening up Uber Eats when they're hungry, scrolling through brands, clicking on one, ordering it, and it comes to them. And this, the same things that are important in the e-commerce world, like reviews and ratings and, and pictures, and um, how fast the product's going to arrive to you, and the shipping price, and all that stuff—all of those things apply here in this uh, in this digital restaurant ordering world. And I know your question was more focused on packaging, but it, it, if you think about this new experience and this new consumer, um, it means that the packaging has to be. Specifically designed for this new arrival experience because it's not about how does the food leave the restaurant, it's how does the food arrive to your door 20 minutes later. And and I think the more thoughtful restaurant owners can be about that, the more um, the the better uh, they will be at 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 making this work. Like one of the early experiments that I did with Cantors um, was I would package up like 10 to 20 items at a time from the restaurant as if I were setting them out for a to-go order, I would drive around the block for about 15, 20 minutes and then open everything up and check the temperatures and see, like, you know, did the potato pancakes stay crispy? <laughs> and uh, and I found, like, I had to, like, poke holes in the bag or, you know, use foil yeah. and, but not close it all the way because if you, if you do, like, it will get soggy. Like, there are all these little um, experiments that I had to run to even understand, like, what to how to package this stuff correctly, and what to remove from the menu completely as well. Um, You know, we wanted to do milkshakes to go because people love milkshakes, but we, we found consistently that there was no way for us to successfully do that in a way without buying like really expensive packaging to keep milkshake. Like we almost have to like send it in like a thermos to, to keep the intent of what it is. Otherwise it arrives melted and it's not a great experience for anyone. And then customers are requesting partial refunds or, and, and then we're having to like, you know, pay that out from our pocket and also pay for the food costs that went out the door. So we decided, like, let's let's really dig into the analytics on the Uber Eats dashboard, on the DoorDash dashboard um, to understand, like, what's working, what's not working. Um, You know, Philly cheesesteak sandwiches were something that consistently had negative reviews when people would order it. They were consistently saying it showed up, the cheese was hard, it was cold, like, you know, it wasn't good. So I'm sure the instead bun of was to,
0: soaked, you know, like with the, with yeah, the jus, instead right? instead of trying to make it...
1: And it's not even a popular item really for us we just had it on the canner's menu but instead of trying to make it work and find the right packaging we just decided to remove it from the menu entirely we're like let's just let's just not set people up for failure <laughs> you yeah. focus on the things that do work online and and narrow the scope of the menu to uh to to accommodate that so i think it's a combination of um revising and tailoring the menu with the delivery optimized experience And then also really leaning into, like, what is the best in class packaging and the technology that's coming in packaging. There's, like, certain French fries now that are, like, coated in, like, a a specific, like, new uh, technology that, like, keeps the fries hot and crispier for longer. I think... Wendy's has like a commercial about it, but yeah, um, isn't
0: isn't that the, like the basis of the job of um, Chevy Chase in Christmas Vacation? If you've ever seen it, like he created the new spray to keep the cornflake crispy wow. longer in the milk. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not familiar with
1: that, but exa- but that's that's uh, that's a good example. Like we we have to really lean into like what's available and like what, how can we tailor this experience? To, and, and it also goes to food costs as well. A lot of people are like, I can't make my my menu work on a third party delivery app. That's taking 25 to 30% of every order. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I always ask the question to restaurants, like what can you sell at 25 to 30% take rate? Like what can you remove from your menu so that you're only selling things that are lower food costs or how can you add a um, dollar to the price of your burger to somewhat make up for for that, uh, that cost, because um, now the online ordering platforms will actually let you have higher prices online than you do in store. And that's been a really helpful way for restaurants to be able to absorb some of those uh, some of those extra fees. Um, so yeah. there's, there's a lot that can be done uh, to make to make your menu work online, you just have to lean into like the very concrete details and, uh, and go deep with it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the the packaging industry should be hearing the, uh, the the cries for help at this point. Um, you know, because if you're, if you're physically, I've seen the the holes physically poked into the styrofoam clamshell. Um, and, and for the longest time there, there has been an ongoing issue with cold drinks before delivery. So we've worked with a number of brands where, they have talked about green initiatives and I'm like, that's cute. You have styrofoam cups and they're immediately like, we can't change that because we sell a slushy like drink, any other cup that thing melts in minutes, yeah. you know? And, so and, like the styrofoam insulates it.
1: And and uh, there's a lot of States that are like banning styrofoam and like, you know, plastic bags and pushing the the, the needle forward with like, you have to figure out different ways to, to keep this stuff warm or cold or however it's intended and like it's it's hard like even even within the same order um, sometimes there are things that are intended to be hot and things that are intended to be cold like a salad you want to keep it as cold as you can but it might be next to a warm burrito right it's like sitting on top of it and like the salad's making the burrito cold the burrito's making the salad warm and that's not ideal so you got to like really be thoughtful around like not just like the packaging itself, but how you're loading up the bags. I've seen like Starbucks has, has really pushed the ball forward with like innovation on like putting dividers within the bag so that like you can put, you know, a couple drinks and some like warm breakfast items next to each other without them I- interacting with each other. And like, you know, that level of, of thoughtfulness is really important to that.
0: Yeah, I wonder how long it's going to be. May- maybe you have some ears on the ground, but there needs to be some sort of... uh uh, product mechanism, machine, whatever you want to call it, that can be inserted into these delivery drivers vehicles or trunks or back seats that actually has a compartment for cooling, a compartment for heating uh, to just keep things alive longer, especially because this is no longer a um, a flash in the pan. It's here. This is how things are now. Like you said, it's a reality. The behavior has changed. Yes. It's not Con- going to change. It has changed. Convenience,
1: so convenience is not a trend. It's not something that's like here for a year. It's like people are learning how easy this is and, and becoming more frequent users of it from all age groups, too. Like pre COVID. The, the ordering demographic on these platforms was like 18 to 35 years old, call it, um, was like the bulk of the orders that were happening. Now, like my grandpa, who's in his 80s, has the Dash Pass. He's ordering you know, from his favorite restaurants multiple times a week because he can't go anywhere and he's scared to you know, put himself at risk of, of going to pick up food from a restaurant. So right. you know, I, I never thought he would be leaning into this, but he's now a power user and, you know, a, a very frequent order orderer, And that's, that's not going to go away. Like he, now that he understands how to push a button and have his favorite restaurants brought to him, he's like, I'm going to use this forever. <laughs> like, you know, until, until I can't, but uh, it's like, you know, this is, um, this is not a trend. It's not a short-term situation. In fact, what we thought was going to happen from a digital ordering perspective over the next 10 years basically happened in a matter of months because of mm-hmm. it. It just accelerated Everything that we anticipated was coming um, just happened in hyper speed.
0: Yeah, it's funny. One of the talks I gave back in 2019 was about the future of restaurants. And what you just said was sort of what I was saying, which is like, hey, it's not going to be next year. It's probably not going to be the year after. But look, it's coming. Like people are going to lean like brands are going to lean more into kiosk ordering, reducing the, the uh, stress of labor costs and, and, and everything involved with that. And then the pandemic happened. and I was like, oh, man, I'm, I was really right. I just did not expect the pandemic to happen. Um, So getting back to to next bite and just virtual restaurants in general, where do you think operators are going wrong with activating and marketing virtual brands? Well, um, I think
1: particularly for mom and pop businesses, they don't have digital marketing teams or big digital marketing budgets. So I think there's this expectation of like, oh, I'm just gonna like pick an item on my menu, you know, make it into like a different menu, and hopefully it will work. And then they they upload it, and they're disappointed when they're only getting like an order a week, or mm-hmm. <laughs> a couple mm-hmm. orders a day, because um, it's not, you know, it, it's not that easy anymore. Uh, back a couple years ago, that was like the recipe for success, but but that's that's that that window has passed, and now. Um, you know, it is really difficult to get this stuff right. There's a ton of data that we look at from what's performing well in which markets or what time of day, what's happening internationally, what are people searching for, um, what sauces are are blowing up right now, and information is spreading faster than ever right now because of things like TikTok, where you know traditionally, like if there's a, a exotic uh, new international cuisine that's like becoming popular in LA or New York, it usually takes a couple of years for that to spread into you know, middle America and the South. Um, but now like the way that information spreads, like every single person in every college campus market now knows what Boba is, for example, like, right. you know, cause these things can can move so quickly and like people are watching videos and, and information is spreading faster than ever. So um, there's, there's really this incredible opportunity to like, Get on board with what's coming next faster than ever before like instead of opening a physical restaurant to sell this food You can now launch virtual brands within within your existing restaurant in a matter of weeks um without without spending you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars renovating or building a kitchen or buying equipment um, to do that, so um, I think you know, for, it starts with the with the concept development itself, and, and picking the right stuff to sell. And then once you nail that down, there's a lot of strategies to promote and market it. One one thing that we found effective with with what we're doing is is um, partnering with influencers to leverage their built-in audience. Um, I mentioned uh, Hotbox by Wiz Khalifa you know, that was a stoner brand that we brought to life. And, uh, immediately, you know, Wiz Khalifa is posting this to his 35 million Instagram followers, driving massive awareness overnight. Like we had, I think on the first day we had something like 20 or 30,000 Instagram followers just from, just from his post, because yeah, wow, he's driving all this, uh, all this, he's influencing his built-in audience to go try this new thing. You open up Uber Eats, you see this new brand with his face on it, and it's like, wow, I want to try this new concept. It sounds crazy. Um, So I think leaning into all the things that work in marketing and other industries like partnering with influencers, um, digital marketing, um, even like direct mailers, TV campaigns. We've done billboards for our brands in in certain markets to test that out. It's really an omni-channel approach. Um, You have to measure all the different... Um, return on investments on on the different channels and lean into the ones that are working better than others. And, and it's, it's constantly evolving. There's new platforms um, opening every day. You know, TikTok is, is, is a channel that cannot be ignored at this point. Um, so, so there's a lot to lean into there.
0: Yeah. And it it starts to turn into a content ask too, which is a very heavy lift for a lot of restaurateurs out there. But like you said, the the influencer thing does have a lot of merit still, especially with more micro influencers. I mean, obviously Wiz Khalifa is Wiz Khalifa, but, um, (laughs) you know, when you start to get onto that more granular level, um, let's just say here in Atlanta or even, you know, Memphis, Tennessee, um, you might get more traction with, a person who is our influencer of that area or region um, as opposed to more of a macro level uh, influencer as well. And that's, that's a interesting nut to crack. So but let's talk convergence a little bit here. So you mentioned earlier on, when you were starting this uh, with cancers, one of the biggest gripes that I hear from restaurateurs and operations uh, individuals is this bank of tablets. You know, I think you mentioned you had like nine tablets and a fax machine and yada yada. Um, they're an eyesore and it actually hurts speed of service. So, how's NextBite adding to that or helping rel- relieve it?
1: Yes. Uh, so, uh, before we we rebranded the company to be called NextBite at the end of last year. Um, we were actually called OrderMark for the first four and a half years of the business, and our our, our original product that we brought to market in 2017 was um, an aggregation software that consolidates all of those incoming ordering streams into a single device for the kitchen to make it you know very manageable to be on on many different services at once. That meant you know one reporting system, one menu to make updates to one dashboard to go to to pause service across all the different platforms Um, so we we started by creating this software that that pulls all these systems into one Um, and and we we partnered with thousands of restaurants from mom-and-pop businesses to large chains everything in between to, to bring that to life and through that process we realized like now that we're aggregating all these different order incoming ordering streams we can take it even one step further by layering extra menus or extra brands on top of these businesses, all through that same device that's already in their kitchen. So many of the restaurants that we were partnering with had capacity and 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 the ability to make an extra 10, 20, 30 orders a day. Mm-hmm. So why not create these turnkey brands uh, through NextBite? And uh, originally we launched NextBite as a as, an ex, as a natural expansion and evolution of our product. And it became the most important thing that we could be doing for restaurants right now, which is literally driving extra orders into their kitchen. And so we we rebranded the whole business at the end of 2020, or sorry, end of 2021. Um, we called NextVite, I forget, Time is relevant. We're,
0: we're we're all in um, the same boat. I'm pretty sure it's still and, 2020. And
1: and we still have um, our one of our products that we offer to restaurants is still the order mark aggregation software, which we have hundreds of restaurants each month signing up just to just to simplify and manage you know all their delivery apps in, in one single interface. And then of course they have the ability from there to layer on these incremental brands that we create for them.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. You know, it's it's interesting to hear this. Um, you know, I'm involved with a lot of tech startups and and kind of keep my finger on the pulse as well. Convergence has to happen even beyond what you've done. I mean, there's so many components to the tech stack for restaurants now when it's only growing more and more and more. Um, and I think it, what, what we're going to start to see is it's going to start to spawn labor. I hate to use that word because it, it actually demeans what People really are, but humans that are more than just button pushers, that they actually fully know the restaurant tech stack from, you know, virtual kitchen uh, interfaces through online ordering through POS. Like, you know, the list goes on and even into the marketing systems and how they are all starting to become interconnected, either via API integration or quite honestly, like bigger companies gobbling up or a company such as yourself, starting with one thing, but then adding on ancillary symbiotic things. Um, It's going to be quite an amazing thing to see. Uh, In your opinion, what is the future of virtual restaurants, ghost kitchens? What's on that horizon? And then of course, what's the future for NextBite? If you're willing to dip the cards a little bit and show a little bit of your hand.
1: Sure. Yeah. So, you know, we we're constantly innovating as an organization to figure out what products, services, tools we can build to help restaurants reach customers outside of their four walls. And, uh, you know, creating these brands for them, we're continuing to understand what works, what doesn't work. How can we drive even more orders into these businesses? How can we increase basket size? All, All of these things are critically important for the restaurants that we're partnering with. And our North Star metric as, a, as an organization is really how do we drive millions of orders into underutilized kitchens? That's, that's really what we're all about. Our business model is set up that way where we're not making money if our restaurants aren't making money. And um, and, and really, we believe that the next Chipotle, the next green, the next biggest brand for the restaurant community will be Restaurants that are specifically designed and optimized for an off premise delivery experience. We're building that future. We we, we believe that some of the brands that we're going to be building will be in thousands of locations um, across the U.S. and eventually internationally as well um, to to really enable and empower restaurants to do more with with that uh, with that fixed cost labor that they have. So um, that's that's what we're laser focused on right now. you know our our team is is um, i think what really motivates our team is hearing these stories from restaurants of like you guys are keeping my doors open you guys are keeping my staff employed like we are we are not in the business of competing with restaurants in any way shape or form it's, it's only driving orders into these into these kitchens and i think that's you know a unique approach that we've we've found in this in this very messy complicated space and uh, a lot of these ghost kitchen businesses that are like you know, in the business of of building new kitchen space and real estate, like they're taking orders away from restaurants. So like that's philosophically very different from, uh, from what we're doing here. And uh, I think that's, that's going to be a key difference as we're, as we, as we continue to scale and um, continue to expand our team. We've grown. Last year we grew from 90 employees to over 350 employees in, in the company. And it's been just incredible to watch the amount of, um, impact that we can make in this industry creating a a more sustainable and profitable um model for for restaurants to be successful it's a really hard industry my heart um, is always with the restaurants that are you know navigating this this crazy storm that we're in right now it's been a devastating year for it's been a devastating two years for for the industry and uh it's great to be a part of the uh the solution like we're not going into restaurants and charging them to use software we're paying them to make food for us and that's that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a big difference
0: yeah that's, that's certainly a, a huge difference um and, and quite an amazing one um so this might be the toughest question of the entire session here but if you had one final meal on this plane of existence <laughs> uh what would it be where where would you eat it what, what does that look like Oh, that is
1: such a, a tough question. I'm a huge foodie. I love restaurants. I love dining out. Um, and I would have to, I'd have to do sushi. It's just number one in, in my heart. And uh, I've only been to Japan once, but it would definitely be somewhere, somewhere in Japan and some uh, dark corner of an alley like with uh you know an uh, eight-seater sushi chef just feeding me whatever whatever's on the menu (laughs) so i love it yeah that's definitely my 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 final death row meal
0: fantastic well alex um how can people find you and next bite and connect with you where do they go
1: yeah you can you can hit us up uh just go to next or uh you can look up uh, any of the social channels as well. Look up NextBite and uh, you'll find us there. So,
0: Brilliant. Well, this has been awesome. Thanks for taking the time out of your day and shedding a lot of light and insights. So it's been wonderful. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. you. Yeah, great, 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 great. If you love what we've served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. fortales Tales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post-productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021. Vigor Graphic Design, LLC. All rights reserved.